today, Norman. That's right. Father, we thank you for Norman. The Bible says we have countless guys, but not many fathers. Thank you that you've given us a father in, in Norman. And I pray you bless him as he shares with us. Help us to listen and learn. Amen. Amen. Well, would you like to open your Bibles, please, in Luke 24? This is the penultimate preach on Luke, and David's going to finish this off next week. And uh, as we heard last week, we and was referred to in one of the prayers that was prayed about uh, the disciples uh, on the road to Emmaus, um, uh, meeting unexpectedly the Lord Jesus as he came and explained the scriptures to them. And I'm going to pick this up now in Luke 24 and going to read from verse 36 down to the end of 44. And this is what it says. <clears throat> and by the way, the disciples have gone back to Jerusalem and uh, they're meeting with the, uh, the other group of disciples who've also heard the good news that Jesus uh, is risen from the dead. So we pick it up in verse 36 and it says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace and they were startled and they were frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they did not, but still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. And Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So, as I've just said, these guys have uh, met Jesus on the road to Emmaus unexpectedly. They've recognized who he is as he broke bread with them. They've gone the seven miles back to Jerusalem only to find the other disciples are excited uh, and beside themselves with joy that Peter and the others and the women have said, we saw the empty tomb and, uh, and, and he's risen. And these guys throw in their little bit and said, well, amazingly, we were on the road to Emmaus and, and we found this man coming and walking with us and he explained the scriptures into it in a way that we've, we've never heard before. All the Old Testament scriptures suddenly came alive. And so we invited him in as it was late in the day and we invited him to eat with us and he took the bread and as he broke the bread, suddenly we realized that the one we'd been talking to is Jesus himself, who you have also had experience of his risenness. And it says, while this, can you imagine the excitement in this room? Because they come back to Jerusalem. It's late in the evening. And it says, suddenly Jesus was amongst them. And uh, he's now asking them to consider something quite scientific. 
See, people always say, oh, oh, you know, that's not, that, that can't be proved. I, as I was reading the scripture, I, I suddenly realized that I'd never noticed this before. Let me read it with you again. It says, it says um, he asks them the question, why are you so troubled and have doubts rise in your mind? I can understand why they were troubled and had doubts rise in their mind. Because miracles don't happen every day. People don't rise from the dead every day. And yet here, they're seeing something that is astounding them. And, but he says to them, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Can I ask you, what do we understand to be the five senses of a human being? The five ways that we, as it were, examine things and think about things. What are they? They're to do with hearing. They're to do with sight. They're to do with smelling. They're to do with taste. And they're to do with, well, I think I've covered them. Is that five? What are they? Yeah, touch, sight, hearing, smell, and taste. I never noticed it before. Because nobody had written that down in a science book at this time. But this is exactly what Jesus invites them to examine. He invites them to examine uh, what his, they are astounded about in a way that is really quite scientific. He says, come and have a look. And often, you know, if you go to Madame Tussauds or something, the sign will say, look, but don't touch. But Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying, no, come on, have a look, examine. Look at my hands, look at my feet, where the nails had gone in as he'd been crucified. And they're, they're, they're allowed to come and examine. See, Christianity is, is, is something that allows us to ask questions. As Gareth went through, as he was asking questions about this, where are you, God? What is this about? He allows you to come with your questions, with your doubts, with your inquisitiveness. He expects it. He invites it. And then, I'd never noticed it before. And it says, they look at all these things, and he says, by the way, have you got anything to eat? What are the two that are about to come? Well, it says broiled fish. I mean, all the cats in the neighborhood would have known about this. Broiled fish. Talk about taste and talk about smell. Actually, Jesus is inviting them on every one of the five senses that we as human beings uh, analyze things. He's inviting all of that. He's not holding back. He's not saying keep at a distance. He's saying examine, see, look, smell, taste. There's something very substantial about the Christian faith. It's very different to other faiths. It's an invitation to come and see, to look, to taste, to smell, to examine, to ask questions, as I've already said. And now it says they don't believe for joy and amazement. Can you enter into how they're feeling? The things are changing so fast. 
I experienced a bit of that one day when I was on my way to Guinea-Bissau. Some of you know this story, but I'm going to repeat it. I was supposed to be met in Dakar airport by a missionary who was going to take me through Dakar airport and, and make sure that I could catch the plane properly. I'd set out on a plane from Brussels and I'd landed in Dakar airport. If you know Dakar airport, they say it's one of the most dangerous airports there is. I arrived at five o'clock in the morning and I sat down thinking in my naivety that something would come up on the screen. But this is Africa, you know, to tell me when my flight would be. And I'd had a bit of a, a meeting with five guys who I realized afterwards were actually after my money. They, we ch- chatted together and they realized I hadn't got a ticket because my, my, I was supposed to be being met and being taken all these things so that I could buy a ticket. And things were getting very difficult. They were saying, come on, give us the money. We'll buy you a ticket. And I felt that I heard a voice say in my left ear, pick up your case and walk this way. And immediately I picked up my case and I moved that way. I said, I'm leaving you. I know what you're off to. I'm leaving. And I took three or four steps to my left. And a young man ran up to me and said, are you going to Guinea-Bissau? I said, yes. He said, quick, the plane is leaving. Follow me. And he raced through the airport about 200 yards. And I had my massive great big case. It was all I could do to keep up with him. And he presented me to the, to the desk where I was to buy a ticket. And I said to the, she said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Guinea-Bissau. She said, there are no flights from here to Guinea-Bissau today. But you can have a flight to Banjul. And at Banjul, you'll be able to buy another ticket to get on another flight to go to, to, to Guinea-Bissau. And so she said, but hurry, hurry, the plane is leaving. And I can understand how they felt amazed. I was amazed, what's going on? And they whipped my bag and they said, quick. And I ran out to the tarmac where this little plane was. And the, and the stairs were there and everybody's waiting for, waiting for me. How did they know I was even there? Up the stairs I went, they closed the stairs behind me, and I sat down, and for, for amazement, I couldn't believe it. I thought, what has just happened? That's how these guys are. Afterwards, I thought, that's amazing. I feel I probably met an angel, but listen, when God moves miraculously, we don't have time to analyze it all, but nevertheless, it is examinable afterwards. And here these guys have just been able to examine the fact that this Jesus who was crucified has been raised from the dead. And he is now saying, do you notice what he says in verse 30, in 44? He said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. If you look through the scriptures, he was continuously saying, the Son of Man will have to suffer and die and will be raised on the third day. But it hadn't gone in. And now he's saying, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. That word is so important. That word fulfilled, um, actually, I've, I've been reading a guy called Gary Habermas. If you want to know about the, uh, the, uh, the resurrection, he's written a lot of books with him and uh, William uh, Lane Craig. They, they've written uh, lots of books about uh, the, the, the resurrection. Very helpful stuff. And he says of this book, this word, fulfilled, he says, fulfilled means brought to a predetermined end. 
And he said, wherever that word, that Greek word is used in the scriptures, it's a word that has the idea of forward movement towards a finality. That's what the, this is with Jesus. He is now raised from the dead. He has given himself on the cross for us. And here he is to be examined, to be looked at, to be seen. This is what I told you when I was with you. Everything that was written about me has to be fulfilled. And if you notice, he says in in the law of Moses and uh, he says in the prophets and in the Psalms. And what he's saying about that is there aren't one or two little check verses in the whole of the scriptures. For the scriptures were considered by the Jews to be divided into three places. The the work of Moses, the, the work of prophecy and the work of the Psalms. This isn't something tucked away in a corner. This is available. In fact, uh, Gary Habermas says uh, that when he debates with those who are skeptics, whether Christian or not Christian, he says, he, he asks them first of all, well, which bits of the scriptures do you agree with? And then from there, he shows them why the resurrection is so important. I recommend you perhaps find him on YouTube or just go through that. Everything must be fulfilled. Uh, interesting, I always find, not just to hear what people say about something, but to see what the result is. Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. I looked up some information. Sir Edward Clark, who actually died in 1931, he was a British High Court judge. And he wrote this. To me, the evidence of the resurrection is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence that is nearly not, is really not as compelling as that as for the resurrection. And he said this, as a lawyer, I accept the gospel evidence unreservedly as the testimony of truthful men to facts that they were able to substantiate. This is nothing in the corner, this resurrection. It's the absolute central part of the scriptures. And Gary Habermas himself says this, the resurrection was undoubtedly the central proclamation of the early church from the beginning. The early church didn't just endorse Jesus' teaching. They were convinced that what they'd seen was that it met him alive after the resurrection. Actually, Gary Habermas, his wife died very sadly from cancer in 1998. And all his teaching that he'd brought on the resurrection affected him in that moment. A bit like we heard from Andy this morning. This is what he said. He said, in dealing with the death of my wife Debbie in 1998, he said, if there is a resurrection, there is a heaven. And if Jesus was raised, then my wife Debbie was also raised, and I will be raised someday too. That is what we have as those who have committed ourselves to Jesus. We have the substantial promises. We've just sung about it. All your premises are yes and amen. 
Can I invite you to investigate if you have not understood this for yourself? Dig it around. Get hold of information and see the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. For many years, and I haven't got it now, but it's now in my heart, I had a question written uh, that I'd printed out and put above my office. So every time I stood, sat in my desk looking at my computer, I would see this question. And this question was, how is the resurrection of Jesus affecting your life today? And every time I got into my office, I would see this. How is the resurrection of Jesus affecting my life today? That is the question that each one of us must answer. I wrote down some of my own answers to that question. You will have others. The resurrection of Jesus affects the way I pray. Because I know I'm talking to one who is not dead, but is alive. How does the resurrection affect me? On a daily basis, I am able to expect and look for the supernatural intervention of God in my life and the lives of others because he's alive. I don't go looking under every chair for miracles, but... When I see them, I mean, uh, in a situation where I know I am completely unable to do something on my own ability, I'm expecting God to act, for He is a God of miracles. I have this encouragement on a daily basis as I ask that question, which is this that God is in charge ultimately of all things, it brings security to my life and the disciples that we've read about were also transformed by the death and the life and the knowledge that Jesus who was crucified was raised from the dead you see science and faith are not opposed to one another we've seen it here Jesus is using the scientific method to get the disciples to inquire you're allowed to examine What is foolish is to come to these big, big questions having already made up your mind that God doesn't act in this way. For you will never see the truth. I want to invite you. I want to invite you. If you're here today, you've heard uh, the testimony of Gareth and his wife. You've seen and been amongst us as we've worshipped. Can I... Make it an urgent question for you to ask this question. Shouldn't the resurrection of Jesus be effective in my life too? And to investigate and to look and to speak to people and let them pray for you. One of the best ways, one of the thrills I had with Gareth was just to pray for him one Sunday morning. Just pray and not, not My words were not important, but what was important was as we pray, the Holy Spirit is the one that comes upon people. And he brings revelation that we could never have on our own. Don't go from here without having asked that question. How can the resurrection of Jesus? Sir.
I missed a question. What does it mean? Very good. Very good indeed. I agree with you entirely. I agree with you. It's a life-changing thing. And it's got to be considered. And got to be looked at. Can I invite you to stand with me? I want to ask you to put your hands out to God. If you've got doubts, as you said, sir, honestly, that's fine. You're allowed to have doubts. May I invite you and encourage you to investigate those who've spent years looking at the evidence for this in order that you might actually fill in that doubt that you have, which is a, a good and honest doubt. Now I'm going to ask you to put your hands out to God. And even if you're not a Christian here this morning, I'm going to expect the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you even as I pray. Would you, you might like to close your eyes so that you're not... Uh, uh, thinking about other things, but I'm going to ask, Holy Spirit, will you come on all, each one of us? Will you come also, Lord, to those that are asking questions, have serious doubts, have good questions that they want to ask? Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you reveal yourself to each one of us on a daily basis? Holy Spirit, fill this room and come and bring that sense of your presence into every and each life, I pray. That, Lord, we may take the time, Father, to actually find fulfillment of why you died that we might be forgiven. You died that we might be changed from, one, from death to life and brought into the very knowledge of God himself and his love for us. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, follow after each one of us as we leave here today and speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Norman. Fantastic job. The resurrection. <laughs> um, during this, uh, this last time of worship, if you'd like prayer for anything, I invite you to come to the front here and uh, we'll just pray for you. If you've got any doubts, come to the front, we'll pray for you. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on to the front and we'll pray for you.